This is Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny DeSatnik, and usually these are conversations with underrated creators. However, today we're going to flip the script and introduce you to two managers. Today's guests are the co-founders of a creator management company called Up North Management, and they're home to some of the most interesting commentary, gaming, and sports creators out there today. The roots start in the music industry, but soon after they transition to the creator space, and it's been a bet that's paid off handsomely. Now, handsomely not only because they understand the space so well, but they're really good at identifying trends, and these two also have incredible complementary skill sets that make their trajectory really, really fun to watch. But before we get to the episode, I want to get you excited about Hashtag Paid's next Meet the Creator event in New York, middle of September. It's called Meet the Creators because the idea is me and my team put on this event where we bring incredible marketers in a major city around the US or Canada and incredible creators together so that both sides of the industry can meet. We get to a point where it's an experience unlike anything else. It's not just a party where you drink and you talk to people. And the reason being is all the entertainment is focused around supporting, uplifting and showcasing creators. So it started off where we added something called the Creator Bodega, a market where you can shop for creator celebrity products, i.e. get to take them home throughout the night. Then it moved to something called Behind the Profile, where we profiled 10 rising creators in that city. And the idea is we write a three to 500 word profile on each, so you can really get to know the human compared to just looking at their content and looking at their stats. What we just did in our, at our last one in Toronto is we ran a live creator culture podcast. So we took this podcast, put it in the event, ran it for three hours, had creators coming in and out. It was so much fun. I'm excited for everyone to hear the content coming out of it in the conversations. But the next one we do in New York in September, we're thinking of something like a creator science fair, a creator showcase where we pay a couple creators to actually come and showcase off their skills in real time and end up creating something. You know, like whether you're a stop motion animator or you customize sneakers or you're an incredible editor where you can take headshots of people and then we can show that process of how you transform it into something beautiful that's art. Anything like this, if you're listening and you're really interested in it, definitely hit me up at datkeed on socials, D-A-T-K-E-E-D or hashtag paid, H-A-S-H-P-A-I-D, all across socials. And we would love to talk and see if we can get you to be a part of what we call the Creator Science Fair. Actually, it's going to be a better name, but for now, that's what it is. So anyway, let us get back to the episode. Today's guests are Cody and Cole Hawk. Enjoy the conversation. We're all from Toronto. Toronto's got some insane talent and owned the last decade, yet it feels like we're nothing on the map and it feels like no one has any idea of how much comes out of Toronto. I want to get both of your perspectives. Why do you think that is? What makes Toronto, like what is, why is there such a glass ceiling on Toronto in terms of all creative talent? No, I mean, from my perspective, I always thought there was just more business to do in the US. I left Toronto at 18. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't go to university in Canada. I didn't really come back after to, to work in the industry. When we started our business, I was already in the US. Um, and Cole was in Toronto when we sort of thought of the idea, at least at first. I think from my perspective, it's the market size is just so much bigger. Being in a coastal city like LA or New York or the entertainment industry in particular, it's, it, it is more valuable. Um, even post-pandemic, I think that it still rings true. I don't, it's not as prevalent as it was maybe before, but the access to 
meeting people at, at different times, the serendipity of running into someone if you're if you're at an event or um, at a coffee or drinks or things of that nature is just you're not going to find that as prevalent as uh, people in Toronto. I think also in Toronto growing up, you're not really you're exposed to the entertainment industry in a very indirect or sort of like arm's length approach. Like there's not a lot of businesses already established working in the greater industry there. And so there's not a lot of opportunities when you're young to get involved in internships and jobs and things of that nature. That's my perspective. Cole, you might have a different perspective because you lived there for so much longer than I did and were working in entertainment and music during that time. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Cody hit on a majority of the points that I probably would say. I mean, my experience is a little bit different because I started in music before we started up north and working in creator space. So when I graduated college and I jumped into the music industry, I was in Toronto, but I was working mostly on U.S.-based business. But I was in it at the time where Drake had just put out, if you're reading this, it's too late. And that was like the kind of starting point of like all other Toronto artists, producers, songwriters, this whole like creative sphere, like coming out of the city. And at that time, that was 2015. And that's when I got involved. And then from the music side, I was like, oh my God, who knew that like there were some of the most insane, talented artists and, and producers that are coming out of the city that nobody knew about. And now if you, if you would probably pull up the billboard, like Hot 100, and look at song credit, you probably see like confidently could say 60, 70% of those people behind all the biggest songs in the world right now are from Toronto, which is pretty crazy. Jumping onto the creator side, when we started our business, we really only looked at US-based creators. If some were in based in Toronto, it just happened to be because they were here, but like their audience sizes were mostly uh, US. And even to this day, when we're dealing with you know, different brand opportunities. Obviously, most come from the U.S. I think there's a bit of a ceiling as far as Canadian brands, Canadian brand budgets and limits there. And they're kind of looking at the same pool of creators a lot of the time um, and not really expanding outside of that pool. So I think those are some of the challenges, at least that I've seen so far. I feel like I could nerd out about this question for a while, but that's not really why we're here and so i'm gonna break away but for both of you you talk about starting up north cody you were a lawyer down in the states cole you're in toronto doing your music thing why up north why did you get started and i'll throw it to any one of you too and i guess you guys can bounce off each other i was watching cole pursue talent management and music for a number of years as i was in law school slaving away and just not entirely happy or not entirely sure of like what exactly I wanted to do. And I saw the things that he was doing, whether it was, you know, creative meetings with talent or, you know, songwriting sessions, um, recording sessions with different people and exposed in different areas and different types of meetings and events and everything that was coming with it. And for, I believe you were like, what, 2021, Cole, at the time? Something like that, 22. And so even like, you know, just the opportunities that you were seeing and the money that you were making at that age, I was like, oh my God, I want to have that type of relationship where I can be creative. I can be entrepreneurial and help sort of like guide someone. 
because at the time I wanted to be a talent lawyer. I wanted to work with talent. That was my background for, for college. And then I just was trying to get exposure in law school. And so when I was studying for the bar exam, I spent a lot of my little free time, as little as it was, looking at artists on, on Spotify and SoundCloud. And I would just like send Cole different artists that I thought like had a cool sound or potential to which he would be like, I don't really understand why you're sending me talent here, but sure, no problem. And I just sort of like, I got inundated with it and then didn't think too much of it until I actually took the exam at the end of July in 2018. And then two weeks later, I was just like so uppity that I was like, I need to do something about this. And I came to him with the idea to start a management company for digital talent. He had the management background. I was an attorney. I could, you know, handle negotiations and contracts. And I just had this like energy to just have some sort of creative outlet to help people and guide people. And so that's that's how it was born. Um, he said no at the beginning. First time I asked, he was like, no, like I, I have zero interest in, in doing this. But it took some convincing. And I think like a week later, it was us like it was us sitting down in L.A. with someone we cold emailed to basically pitch on why we should be that individual's manager. And it was just a very funny beginning. We had no idea what we were doing. It's funny how cold emails is such a rush. Like I remember I was trying to get into the music industry in 2018 and I was in it for like around two years that was my favorite thing. It's like, who's the biggest person I could email? And, and then how can I get on the phone with them? That, like, that was the rush. What is the similarity, and Cole, I'll go to you for this, but what is the similarities, I guess, compare and contrast management in the music industry and management now as you've learned it in the creator space? There definitely is a lot of similarities and crossover. I felt like when we started up north, I was like, okay, great. I can take that experience of what I've learned of dealing with talent, dealing with creatives, which isn't always the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> if you ask other managers, they'd probably say the same thing, but there's definitely a lot of crossover. I mean, you're, you're basically, you know, working with somebody and cra helping craft their vision. They're telling you what their goals are and you're there to, to help execute on those, those ideas of how to get there. And that's what I did, you know, working with artists, working with songwriters, producers, so those skills were transferable. That experience was transferable. Differences, I would say, is just the nature of the industry now. It has totally changed. Working with creators, obviously, you know, we're more exposed to larger, you know, on the brand side, like larger brand opportunities, definitely with like mainstream brands. You know, if you're an artist in, in music, you're starting out, it's not like Chipotle or, you know, a a huge brand like that is, is, is coming to you to, 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 to even take a bet and work with you on, on campaigns. I'm trying to think what else differences. I think distribution's a, a huge thing. Obviously, you working with creators. The, my favorite thing is just seeing them have that built-in distribution, especially as the channel gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's kind of their jumping off point. And, and to tap into a real audience, unfortunately, for artists dealing with like Spotify, Apple Music is your main platforms that you're putting your, your art and, and work out to the world. Like there's no real engagement tools there. No one's like coming to, to talk to you or, or kind of hear a perspective beyond obviously just listening to a song. And I think that's really limiting. It's harder than ever now to break an artist. And I definitely don't envy a lot of other, you know, music managers that have jumped into the space post kind of TikTok and the way that TikTok's shifted the entire music industry. It's a singles driven business. 
which makes it extremely hard for things like ours development. And that's why I get so excited for what Cody and I are doing and, and some of the creators that we're working with, because it, it just feels like this, you know, obviously the creator space has been building up over the last few years, but it still feels so early that there's just a whole like white space of, of unlimited opportunities that we can pursue. You know what's so cool? And I don't know if this was purposeful or not. So one, I'd like to know if it is purposeful, but you guys can say yes, just for the PR element of it. The fact that you go into music, you start working in music like the 2017, 2018, around that, around that time, or maybe even a little, little earlier. And at that time, TikTok's popping. And you almost make this transition to creators with the transition of the industry that like creators, it's TikTok that now owns the music industry and owns the supply. Was that strategic? No. And I'll be on, I'll be a hundred percent honest. No, it wasn't, it wasn't strategic. And I think like luck honestly just plays a role in a lot of things. And like, if people don't use luck as, as the one reason, like they're just lying because a lot of the time it just comes down to that. We got really lucky, but I, I, there obviously was some strategy behind it. I mean, we started specifically in gaming when we started up North because we saw what was happening in the shift with esports and gaming creators overall. This was uh, right before the big Fortnite boom when Drake and Travis Scott hopped on Twitch with Ninja. And then for that, it was like game over. Here we go. And so we we saw that as an opportunity. That was our launching pad. And then about a year and a half into that, we expanded to other uh, categories. Dude, I, I guess a big thing in management is spotting trends and identifying patterns as to like, who, do you, who are you going to bet on? And then who are you going to ride with and look to build? Again, whether it's luck or not, like you guys keep seeming to be in the right place at the right time. It starts gaming and then Cody says, screw it. Like, I'm not just going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be an attorney. Like, I'm going to jump in into management and build that bridge. And then you guys go from from music into gaming, gaming into just creators in general. Now you're doing some really cool stuff with sports. What goes into identifying, for both of you on this, like what goes into identifying patterns and trends or like what are, what are both of you looking for beyond the obvious of good growth on social, good engagement? We have a lot of just open conversations on where we think, you know, certain trends are, are headed or speaking to individuals. I feel like we have a good network of just people that work in the industry and obviously talking to our clients to understand, you know, what's going on. My example with not wanting to be a lawyer, I was like, I always wanted to work with talent and traditionally the way you do it is you go work at an agency, you sit in the mailroom, you go to work on a desk, you're a junior agent, you're an agent. And like by the time, however old you are, you're like finally getting to like have some freedom and flexibility. And I just didn't want to do that. And so an area where I could do that was digital talent because it was so new and, and people weren't really, you know, touching it or in, involved as the other areas of the industry. And then that shifted. And then I think we just saw the opportunity in gaming. We were gamers ourselves. So we understood the language, we understood the culture, so we could relate. We didn't start in beauty because, you know, I'm not really wearing beauty products and didn't understand the landscape, who the players were. I had, I, we had no idea, at least from gaming, we had a unique perspective. We understood, you know, it was, it was PC, it was PlayStation, it was, it was Microsoft, it was, here are some of the peripheral companies, here are the bigger games, here's the talent that fit within those games. Like it was an easier sort of like playbook strategy that we can implement there. And then it was like, okay. Now we've seen a couple game cycles where Fortnite isn't as hot or Rainbow Six Siege isn't as hot, you know, Call of Duty's up and down. And so we understood that, you know, maybe evergreen talent or evergreen content, um, in a sense, would be more reliable for us to 
work with creators on because if you're talking about film and TV, there's always something that's going on. Or if you're, you know, in a sports game, there's a sports game every single year. Or if you're commentating on sports, there's always something going on. And there's massive, massive industries that are news based that are sort of supporting that. And so we could see that, okay, maybe that's sort of like allowing us to go into a new area where we don't have to rely on, you know, the content to cycle out in itself. And so I think just understanding those trends are where we positioned ourselves really nicely. And it's and it's ever evolving because things are always changing and algorithms are always switching up on people. So it's not it's not fixed. Like there's there's always work to be done. Everyone thinks, oh, you just like sign a creator and, you know, ride the wave and eventually they get bigger and bigger. Not everyone works out. Not not everyone, you know, has ambitions to take things to another level. Not everyone has ambitions to take on different types of opportunities. It's it's really fluid. But I think just at the core understanding or having a general sense of where things are going or where the puck is moving is something that I, I, I think we are good at. Yeah, you guys definitely are. I want to go back to something when you guys both said earlier, when you talked about cold outreach, you had some initiative, but you also had some exposure in music and then you've reached out to this creator. And coming from two people who didn't have relationships or credibility in the creator space, and in a world that continues to get bigger, where I'm sure there's a lot of new managers popping up all the time, how did you both go about building those relationships, that credibility, so that creators actually trusted you with their careers? I love cold emailing. There's that thrill, like you were talking about before, Danny, of like <laughs> the excitement of like someone's going to answer, they're going to get to have a conversation with them. And like, by the way, an hour ago, we were cold emailing people. Like we still do it to this day. I think... First, it's really it's just having like honest conversations with people and trying to understand where they're coming from and understand where they're going with their careers. And then it's really, you know, establishing a, a more, you know, an, not an anti-transactional relationship. I won't say that, but just trying to have more of that personal close-knit relationship to understand them as a human, right? So a lot of these creators, you know, they're exposed to different fans and people and everyone wants to take, take, take. And, you know, they're always being asked to do something and and no one really can speak to them you know, as a human being and a, as an individual. And I think we we definitely, you know, try to implement that in what we do. It gets easier over time too, as as you sign more talent and, and the industry is really close knit. So people talk and they can, you know, tell others about what you're doing. I think doing things like this, obviously to get our names out there um, and for people to hear our story and understand what we're about, you know, versus us in a pitch conversation is obviously super helpful. Cool, I'll let you jump in too. No, you pretty much hit it all. I think uh, a lot of the time what's helpful is, you know, having clients where they have a friend who's, who's also a content creator and they just let them know like, Hey, like, you know, at, at up north, like we've done some really good work and you, know, you guys just have a conversation, um, and just kind of take it from there. And, you know, obviously just letting our work speak for itself, but also, you know, letting, you know, potential clients know like, Hey, we're, we're here for much more than just brand deals because i feel like that's what a lot of people uh the pitches for a lot of agencies or managers whereas you know we t we, uh, we've always kept like a, a boutique feel to our company and we did that on purpose and super interesting i think the, the idea of like building relationships especially in this world where we were in this bull market so much money being thrown around creators growing like mad with tiktok coming in and all other platforms trying to compete it almost feels like now it's kind of subsiding and like the the true fundamentals are actually coming through. Both of you started 
up north um and i think i got this from your it was either website or pre or a previous podcast where you said you started up north to serve the digital world as a whole and i know you went gaming and then you still have some game you got some lifestyle and you got some sports if you were to do it over again start start over again would you be so general in terms of scope across the three because yeah there are some similarities but there's also quite there are some stark differences or are there still benefits to being so let's call it so broad as as a management company i'll go to you cole sure honestly i like the fact that we're very diversified i think working in gaming uh when we just started it was it was great and it's been a lot of fun and we still do play a role in gaming but even we saw the limitations because, you know, game cycles, they die out. You saw it with Fortnite. You see it with some other titles. So at that point, we, we knew that it was just the right time to expand. Like Cody said, we're big sports fans. So we understand sports. We love playing in that space. Me, myself, I'm like a, a huge cinephile. So that's why when we started working with film and TV, pop culture creators and commentary channels like that that's my world so like i i was just getting really passionate about working with creators that shared like that similar interest and and even i could help either you know give guidance on content or just overall kind of long-term strategy of like where i think them as creators can go within that space so i've always liked the the diversified approach and not just pigeonholing into you know one vertical yeah no it's similar to me i think playing in a in a diverse world of just different talent from different areas of different types of content and niches is the better play. I get more excited by just seeing, you know, sports and movies and fitness and, you know, Gen Z trends and just understanding, you know, what's going on on a wider landscape is more advantageous in my opinion. Cool. Okay. There's a word that you both use a lot in previous podcasts that I've listened to. And it's a word that describes creators you're looking for, but I haven't heard many managers and agents actually use the specific word. And you guys both use the word transcendability all the time. Talk to me about what that means as a manager, someone supporting creators. What does transcendability mean and what are you looking for and why is it so important for, for both of you? Sure. So I think it can mean a number, a number of things. Can you like transcend the screen, right? So what what could that mean? That that could mean a number of things. But for me, you know, transcending the screen is like, what is the type of relationship you've been able to build with your community, not your audience necessarily, your community? Who are the people that are following you the most? Can you name, you know, the five or 10 most diehard, hardcore fans in your community? I think that's not a lot of creators can probably do that. I think a lot of creators are really there to just slap a video up and hope, you know, that it gets views and, and hopefully they'll iterate on the content and continue to grow. But if you're ever going to reach, you know, a higher level of being a creator and success, again, if that is what you want to do, you really have to be able to transcend, you know, the screen and, and develop that nice relationship with your audience and interact with them and talk with them and involve them in different types of events or activations, opportunities as much as possible transcending like different platforms is like, you know, how are you differing yourself and your content across YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Twitch and other live, live streaming platforms? Like what are you doing and how are you building your fan base? A lot of creators are 
you know, really looking at, you know, one, maybe two platforms as the, the, the largest audience size. And again, that, that is great. And I, and I admire a lot of it. It's just the best people in the space can do it across multiple platforms and they're serving and producing different types of content and developing different relationships on different platforms. I was just going to add an example of someone we work with that does that so well. And it's, it's Kenny Beecham. So Kenny started off in playing NBA two YouTube, right? And he would do trivia and challenges like using the, the game. Then he started his Kenny for real channel, which is him just with a microphone in front of the camera talking about NBA games and just breaking down the games or doing recaps. Then he started a baseball channel where he's playing like MLB the show and talking about baseball. Then he's got another channel where he's just doing like stuff totally different, not even talking about gaming or sports in general. Then he'll hop on Twitch and just play like Call of Duty or Apex Legends, something that his fans like would never even know him for, but like they tune in and care because he's just that guy. Like he, he, people just love him for his personality, his charisma. And that's, I think, goes into what Cody was trying to say about like this ability to just build out all these different things where if you're a fan of just Kenny and basketball, it's you're going to be a fan of him doing something uh, totally different. He also he also has a burner account on Twitter that I want to highlight that, that really like encapsulates everything. He has a burner account on Twitter that has 50,000 followers and it's capped. He capped it like you can't even follow it like a year ago. And it's just his most hardcore engaged fans. It's it's wild. And so he's always posting things in there to engage people and ask questions and things like that. And it's like, you know, a lot of people have, you know, Discord channels and he has a Discord. He's not the most active, but it's a really interesting place to see, you know, 50,000 people interact with different types of content that he's posting. Everything from like his personal side, what he's doing at home, even with his baby, to like his ambitions, his, his goals, different types of content that he wants to go into. It's it's a really, really unique channel that not a lot of people that I know have utilized or can for that matter. Yeah, you know what? What's interesting about this is, and I knew we were going to get to Kenny for sure, one of the most interesting creators in the space that you guys rep. But when you both started speaking about Kenny, like you both started smiling, like right away, you mm. both started smiling. <laughs> and so I think that's a big sign. I think like creators will ask all the time, like, what do you look for when you're speaking to a manager? What should I look out for? Or an agent, what should I look out for? And you guys can clearly get so passionate about the client and really speak about his value and like the things that you like to his value, which is so cool. And so give me more, like talk to me more about Kenny Beecham. Like how did, how did you come across him? I know Cody, you were talking about all the different things that you like about him, but how did you come across him and how did that partnership start? Cause now you guys are, you guys are truly building like a whole new media business with Kenny. It's amazing. So the first sort of sports game we were in was Madden and we did a really good job, I think sort of starting out and carving our way within that space of just producing content with NFL players and our clients, which was amazing. And then, you know, for me, I've, I'm more of a basketball fan than Cole is. And I was like, okay, well, like next sort of vertical for us to attack is 2K because it's a massive market in the gaming space. And so we were just searching different creators and just started spending a lot of time trying to figure out who we wanted to work with. And we came across Kenny I think it was probably at some point in 2019 because we ended up signing him January 2020. So pre-pandemic, we signed him and then, you know, 
that there was some sort of spark that we saw. He didn't have all, all, all the you know channels that he does today, but there was just something about him that we could see in the content, speaking with him, you know, just sort of reviewing, you know, socials and seeing the engagement and what people were saying about him that we knew that there was something there. And so with Kenny, you know, we started just iterating on different ideas. And the first thing that we came up with was a podcast that we launched like two years ago. It was titled Called Game. And what we did was create, you know, all new show for him, interviewing past and present NBA players, people in the media. And that was, we like filmed in LA. It was awesome. We built this whole set out and it was really cool. I mean, for us, a season, I think it did about a million views for that entire season across like 10 or less than 10 episodes that we aired. It was like the number one sports podcast for a little bit, which was really cool. We had eBay as our sponsor and DraftKings and Haritos, all these really big brand names were involved. And then I think for that, you know, there are some creative differences and we kind of just went our own way. And for us, it was just an amazing learning experience. But again, it taught us the ability of him to, you know, go into another medium, you know, bring in the same audience. And the feedback was just unbelievable. We had on that show. And then we launched merch. Or I think, did we launch merch before? I, I can't remember. But we launched a merch collection that sold way beyond what we thought we were going to sell. And so that made us understand that he had selling power and the ability for people to purchase things related to him. And so those two in combination, understanding his community that he was able to build. I mean, this kid, and I call him a kid just because he's a little younger than me, but he would go on Twitch and for the NBA draft, just the lottery, not even the draft, just the lottery to see who gets the pick, had 27,000 people watch him watch the, the NBA draft lottery on where the Chicago Bulls are going to pick. And they picked fourth that year. Like, that's just crazy. And so there were so many little things along the way that got us to understand who he is as a creator to then put our heads together and be like, we need to do something around you, a la these, you know, creator-led brands, which led to us starting Enjoy Basketball a year ago, almost to the day. Cole, I'll ask you this. So... Kenny, like as Cody was just saying, and I think you can see by stats and all the anecdotes you guys brought up, Kenny is a media company himself. He holds insane amounts of attention. He's got ridiculous, ridiculous buying power in his audience. People are tapped in cross-platform. He obviously has that transcendability. And I know you do partner with the NBA from time to time. Do you think the NBA is scared of someone like Kenny that if he got the rights to stream a game or stream games, that like no one would watch TNT or traditional television and instead he would just become like the go-to person? I'm going to be careful with my words. Okay. Because, uh, <laughs> fair play, fair play. We are we, we're definitely uh, in talk to the league on, on working cool. on a few things, but cool. I will say I think the league is very aware that there is almost this Gen Z problem where they're not really watching full games or they're taking highlights and watching through, you know, social clips. I think if you look at a company like Buzzer, that's what they're doing and that's what they're focused on because they see the shift happening. No, I think like, I don't know exactly how to answer that question, but I think someone like Kenny is the perfect type of person that can help the league and work with them in conjunction to, you know, bring the game to a younger audience. 
I would say even on the enjoy basketball side, uh, especially on our newsletter, like the majority is a Gen Z audience. And I think what we were really surprised with when we started, it was like, wow, we didn't realize that there's a lot of you know younger people that are tuning into like read editorial in their inbox. I didn't think that that, you know, was a huge thing. And that's been amazing because subscribers are growing by the day and and we can see obviously like the breakdown behind the scenes of through the analytics of like the age and, and everything like that so it's great to see that they're embracing like a medium like email newsletters um and that's you know we're really excited about that so yeah being in the sports space but speaking specifically to the nba and because you guys rep kenny and you've thought about this a lot of how to cultivate fandom and how to spread the game and how to increase fandom what, what's the best case scenario between the NBA and creators like Kenny and others so that like the game rises together and both parties win? Like, is there a best case scenario or, or a best case plan? I don't know if there's a, like a best case scenario. I just think like both sides embracing the other. I think for so long, the narrative in a lot of different major sports has been like, oh, I'm a creator. I can't use footage. I, I'm getting copyright strikes. I'm, I, I'm not able to sort of like comment on certain things. And the leagues have since sort of switched the narrative there and obviously give them a lot of credit in doing that. Yeah, like Cole mentioned, their problem is attracting, you know, Gen Z and, and younger to watch content for so long. And so I think like the embrace between both creator and league is just extremely important. And, you know, you're going to see and you're going to continue to see, you know, those alternative casts with Peyton Manning and things that things of that nature. But then you're also, you know, going to see you know, more, you know, types of watch alongs and, and Kenny's done those. I mean, he's done those with House of Highlights and he'll do like a, a fourth quarter stream so you can tune into the Celtics Nets game and, and watch him comment on it. And, you know, I think there's there's things like that. But I think, yeah, working in tandem is going to be super important on both sides. And and the best case that that's probably the best case scenario in certain senses, like, you know, the league's uh, media rights deal for the NBA is up in about two seasons. You know, is there, you know, a carve out, you know, where maybe more creators are able to utilize footage and can stream and be part of telecasts in different ways to engage fans? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, you know, more forward thinking platforms like Amazon and Apple are probably going to scoop up certain rights are going to embrace that even further. Just understanding sort of the technological shift from legacy media to new media. Who knows? But there's going to be a lot of changes, I would say, over the next five to 10 years um, in sports coverage, for sure. Yeah, no, I think it's super exciting. You guys are so well positioned, which I think is really exciting as well. Cole, you were talking, you both bring up Enjoy B-Ball. And I know we've talked about it. I know what it is. I think a lot of the people listening probably don't know what Enjoy B-Ball is. So tell me a couple of things. What is Enjoy B-Ball? How did it come to be? And why did you guys start with a newsletter? with enjoy people and Cole, I'll, I'll go to you for this to start. Yeah. So, uh, enjoy basketball came together as Cody mentioned, like, you know, we worked on this previous project that finished and we were like, okay, what's kind of this next step here? What makes sense for Kenny? And we put our heads together and Kenny just has this whole positive kind of mantra about the game of basketball you know, not like Twitter, NBA Twitter can be an absolute like shit show and just constantly tearing down players. You turn on the TV, you see, you know, Skip Bayless, for example, like just critiquing people and it's all negativity. So we were like, okay, well, why don't we create a platform that 
kind of flips that on its head and tells positive first stories. And and Kenny was always using that phrase, enjoy basketball. Like on Twitter, he would tweet out like, like everybody calm down, like let's just enjoy the game. So that's like, it sparked. And, and so we started with a newsletter because we saw the potential of using that medium that no one else was really focused on. And we work with a team of writers that put together the stories we put it three times a week and basically recaps everything going on and, 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 other, and additional stories, whether it's player profiles, interviews, things of that nature. And so we started that in April of last year. I believe we just crossed 38,000 subscribers on the newsletter, which had kind of blown us away. And we didn't think that we'd be growing at that rate, but super fortunate. And that's the media side of the business. And we also have the lifestyle brand component, which is putting out different apparel, and then we got into physical products recently. In December, we created a mini hoop like that you would put on the back of your door. And we sold that out in two weeks. And that was our first physical product. And then this year, we're kind of iterating on that and have some more fun plans in the works for uh, physical goods, games, things of that nature. Wild. And it takes a, it obviously takes a management team that understands how to build businesses alongside with a creator that has an amazing audience and is an amazing creator, creating good content, has a great community. The question that comes up a lot when I speak with creators and they see people like Kenny and yourselves building these like incredible businesses beyond social is like, what is the involvement of the creator? The creator is 24 hours in a day and they want to continuously create content, but they want to be involved and they see these opportunities. How do both of you think about, like, how do you guys think about approaching that conversation with the talent to say, hey, like, we don't, like, it might be your name, or you might just have ownership, or you might have distribution. How do you go about that relationship so that at the end of the partnership, it's probably stronger than ever between you, between the two of you, and not something that like derails everything that you've worked for? Cody, I can go with you first. So we obviously have the advantage of just working and knowing Kenny for a number of years before. And I don't, I don't think we would have started an entire media brand if everyone wasn't, you know, completely bought in. And so I think, you know, establishing the relationship initially, making sure everyone is on the same page, understands where we want to go, what's going to be the sacrifice to get there and sort of, you know, dream scenario of what the end goal could be is very critical. I think that is just, you know, it, it's super important and, and you know, certain things you know we just we don't ask Kenny for and certain things we do we each play our our roles you know like players on a team everyone has their role in different ways you know you're not really seeing Cole and I in front of the camera although that could change soon with, with some short form stuff but you know it's not like we're going and launching a podcast and we're on it and we're talking basketball like you know obviously the majority of everything that re relates to the content side of the business you know we have to utilize Kenny and he is the and he's the face and he has the reach and the distribution or, you know, would we have hit, you know, 40,000 subscribers in our first year on our newsletter without Kenny? No. And it's understanding, you know, where we can each play. Like from a business perspective, we're obviously handling more of that side and the operations. Um, but, you know, he's very involved. Like he understands everything that, that we're doing and the vision. And I think it takes a unique individual and a creator to understand that when they have everything else going on and they have to balance their own channels and make sure that, you know, they're not lacking and they're still serving their communities and, and the content on different platforms. So a number of things, just the alignment at first, you know, understanding their role on a day to day in a high level and just making sure there's a balance between 
um, you know, what they're doing for their own content. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a level of trust, like a ridiculous level of trust, because I can imagine if both of you are, are running operations with Enjoy Basketball and you put out something and people know it's related to Kenny, but it's not, maybe it's not his views or it's not in the way that he would approach something, it could really de derail the relationship. And so beyond the fact that you both have been with Kenny for a very long time, like what other systems and processes are put into place so that that doesn't happen and you guys continuously stay on alignment as this thing continues to grow because having 38,000 subscribers to a newsletter after w one year is absurd. And so who knows where this continues to grow in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely tried to stay as organized and have Kenny involved as much as possible, whether that's like, you know, bi-weekly uh, content meetings where we're just discussing, you know, new ideas, you know, how can we improve on this? I mean, Look, he's the expert, right? As a creator, this is a brand new space to us being behind the scenes. And Cody and I obviously handle like, a lot of the creative ourselves. So we lean on Kenny to give his input as, hey, like, I think this can work really well or, may, you know, maybe don't do this or change this. So that's been very, very helpful in using him to our advantage there. But I, I would say, yeah, just always kind of keeping like the level of trust is huge, like you, you mentioned, and just keeping him in the loop as much as possible that's you know what we're focused on so yeah and having the experience running this running this business going beyond social how do both of you view creators hiring teams in the future like i think they have the opportunity uh, specific creators have the opportunity to build these massive companies but at the end of the day the majority of creators are just they're creators like they're, they're creatives that's what they want to do they want to stay in their pocket but if they want to build they have to hire so how do both of you approach that situation with creators in terms of allowing them to be a part of the process, but still hiring someone that's going to stay on for a while and not continue to churn? Slowly but surely, just um, enhancing sort of the quote-unquote staff. So I think the easiest sort of low-hanging fruit for creators is first hire, quote-unquote, as an editor, right? Take time off, you having to stress about editing. I know some people are like, I just want to edit. I don't care. I don't care how long it takes. And there's probably more than, you know, the majority of people, you know, aren't the biggest fans of editing and they just sort of want to, you know, be talent and, and creatives in that way. So, okay, first person editor, next person, probably some sort of like content strategist, channel manager, something like that. And so you can start scaling on a smaller scale where you have independent contractors not people full-time, you don't have to go crazy and give people salaries and benefits and all that stuff. I think you can slowly but surely get used to communicating and building a team around you. And then as you get bigger and bigger, you know, what does that look like? Do you bring in or sort of like, what does representation look like? Do you have a manager? Do you have an agent? Do you have a lawyer? Do you have, you know, are you trying to create a brand outside of yourself? Do you need to partner with an operator? Do you need to partner with someone who's run a business before? Do you need to run, partner with someone who's run a business in the type of category that you want? Are you trying to build a CPG brand? Are you trying to build a media company? There's a lot of nuance to, to that, but I think starting slowly and just allowing certain people into your circle and seeing how you work with others on a smaller scale will just enable you in the long run to be able to say, hey, I've worked with a bunch of different people. I know how this thing goes. We're just going to keep scaling and, and sort of layering things on top and top and see how you know far we can push this thing. Yeah. 
and you must have had 20 questions there. I, I think it shows like how complex the space is. There's so many ways to slice it and so many ways to figure out how you partner with a creator. And it makes me wonder, and Cole, I'll go to you on this, the managers of the next 10 years in the creator space, do they have to be amazing employers or do they have to be amazing at hiring the right people? Because everything that we're seeing, it's like you're slowly starting to see all these creators pop up with really interesting businesses. A Kenny with Enjoy Basketball, Eric and his whole production that he's going about. And that's just two of thousands. Do you, like should, cre- should creators look for managers that know how to hire really well in the future? Depends on the manager. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, Cody and I, like, we don't think that we're experts in every single field. And we'd be crazy to think that was the case. And we've, especially on the, the Enjoy side, we've been able to hire like the right people. Like, you know, we have a social media manager. We have a TikTok editor. We have a content strategist for shorts. You know, we have all these different roles because obviously like, those aren't areas where we're experts by any means. So, you know, we know what we're going to get the best job done by just making sure we're outsourcing, you know, those areas where we're not as strong in. I think that, I hope that answers your question, but yeah, I mean, creators would be smart to basically hire the right types of operators behind them. Cody, do you want to add? No, same, same. Yeah, I feel like it, it's it's nuanced, but like, you know, maybe it is a manager, maybe it's just different types of operators to specialize in the different areas that you're looking to grow or build your business upon. Over time, you know, you're probably going to that person that knows how to hire the right people. If you're building and scaling, that's likely the better approach to take just because you're going to be dealing with, you know, I mean, even today we're dealing with ops and sales and video and content and different, oh, there's a million things going on during the day. And like, obviously we can't have our hands in everything and it's, it's having the right team and it's us hiring the right people to come on board that are experts in those fields that, you know, we don't have capabilities, but we at least have an understanding of like who should be in those roles. But it's super important. Yeah. Okay. I want to end off with this and maybe it's a little bit of a dig at where the industry is and where the industry is going. But I heard both of you, one of you say, I forget who it was on a podcast. You said that everyone is blindly signing talent. And this might've been, I think around a year ago. And so things might've changed and the space might've evolved. But I think there's a lot of truth to that because it's a similar conversation that's had with a lot of agents and managers that come on this podcast and that I speak to. So I'll ask both of you because I think the opinions from both sides are really interesting. Why do you think everyone is blindly signing talent? I can start because there's not that much talent out there. That's quality talent. And so people are taking risks to sign talent earlier when they're smaller. And people are trying to basically get their hands on anybody just to get opportunities for the door so they can build up their book. Again, that's whether I said it or Cole said it, we probably both said it at some point in the past. It's still, to me, it's still true to this day. Um, people are trying to sign as many people as possible and wrangle people up and generate enough revenue to do whatever they want, whether they exit or just build a massive business. But I, I don't think that's the right approach. Yeah. I mean, Cody pretty much hit it all. We've always kind of taken the quality over quantity approach. It's just even when I was working in music, that's just something I learned from different mentors and people around me. And we just want, we, we want to be excited by the talent that we work with. We're not just here to, you know, collect commission off of. So. And 
with everything you both just said about the idea that maybe there's not as much quality talent, but people are trying to build their book and they're trying to build their their credibility and their stance in the space. What's the negative side of that for the industry? If a lot of people are blindly signing talent, what have both of you seen as the negative impacts on the creator space? You're not adequately represented. That's one. I would say two, you're jumping on these hype cycles and different trends and content going on. Oh my God, like, you know, if someone's doing this, great. It's going to last two, three months. But like, what's the long game there? We've truly like never been in it for just like the short-term game. And and we want to build these like long-term visions, long-term businesses alongside of our clients. So like jumping onto different hype cycles and, and just because, you know, you see crazy followers going up, you know, at some point, a lot of that stuff just has to die out and it won't actually last. So fair play. All right. Well, let's end off on this. We were talking, Kenny, we're talking enjoy basketball with either if it's with Kenny or another client of yours, what's something exciting coming up that's public that you both can talk about that uh, you're really looking forward to? Cody, I'll start with you. Uh, I'll just talk about the enjoy side. We have a number of NBA team collaborations coming out over the next couple of weeks. A bigger, I can't say publicly what the brand is, but we have our first collaboration with a third-party brand in April, which is super exciting. It's a very nostalgic brand, a very well-known brand. I think our community is going to love it. There's a lot of exciting things that we have in the works with respect to the brand. I know I'm being like very vague here, but a lot of things positive things that are that are happening and it's an exciting time for us but yeah i mean a couple nba team collaborations in the next couple weeks as this pod comes out and then into the playoffs in summer some some larger announcements from us cool cool you want to add something or you get to go i'm trying to think uh we work with a creator that we're really excited about in the mma space the mixed martial arts space there's not a lot of creators in that space that are focused on you know, personality-driven content, storytelling. His name's Patrick Gavia. He uh, he only started on YouTube last year, but he, he basically makes mini documentaries about UFC fighters, different stories within the MMA space. And a lot of them have been going viral. And, and he's just an incredible uh, creator, incredible storytelling. The editing is next level. And that's just someone that's so unique and, and very refreshing to see and we're really excited to be working with him. So, so cool. So cool. All right, lots of knowledge dropped on the pod. Thank you both for coming on. I think it's it's really encouraging to see people that care for creators and care for them based on the passion, the vision, supporting them on their journey to make sure, as you both said, like it depends on the creator, what involvement they need. You know you need their involvement, but set up processes around them so you can build bigger and better. It seems like this is an extremely positive way of supporting creators and representing creators and so i'm excited to see where everything goes with those two creators you guys just mentioned and everyone else on your roster thank you for coming on big fans thanks for having us